This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. practice mindfulness independently. We sit with ourselves and we get really curious about the state of our minds. And as we get curious about the state of our minds, we notice what we feel, what we believe, what we think. So we have to then take this precept and apply it to how we think about race. All of the layers of cultural conditioning that wrap around the lens through which we see the world. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll discuss the importance of colon health for your immunity. We'll learn about mindful social activism. We'll hear about home fitness and nutrition. And lastly, we'll consider the natural treatment of allergies. But first, a little bit of business. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian-owned and has been GMP certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all-natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site-licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings. Gordon, welcome back to the show. How are you? Very good, Jamie, and thanks for having me back on. Always. So what we're talking about today has relevance to me because my father suffered from colon cancer for a while before he passed. And, you know, like anybody who has a family history, I have to sort of watch my colon health. So not only will you be speaking to the audience, but you'll be speaking to me today because it's an important topic. You know, one of the things that we have a little saying here, we came up with this little mantra, it says, the road to good health is paved with good intestine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a little saying that we have. Uh, To a certain extent, that is so true. Right. right? I mean, because if you think about it, the intestinal tract is where, A, a lot of germs come down. That's one way of invading into your body systems, right? That and the respiratory tract, right? And there's so many different ways, right? There's a barrier. But then, you know, you have issues with ulcers. That's one thing. You have inflammatory bowel disease. That's another thing that can happen. And people think of it as just one single magic bullet that we can take that will cure all of these things. But it isn't because the intestinal tract is variable. It's long. And different things work in different areas that don't work in one area or the other. But in general, there are a few things that we can do to help make our intestinal tract more healthy. Okay. And the first one I'll start off with is talking a little bit about fiber. Okay. Mm -hmm. Fiber is one of those things that helps with the intestinal tract. Let me explain why that is important. Fiber, one of the major actions of fiber is to create stool content, bulk. Yes. 
uh, it's one of the signals when your colon is full. So it's one of the signals to make you cool, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't have enough fiber in your diet, what can happen is that you probably have a bowel movement once every three days, four days, five days, right? Depending on the individual. It's not unknown that some people go five days without a bowel movement, right? Wow. Yeah. And those are the people that are normally taking laxatives, etc. But the more frequent bowel movements you have, the better your intestinal health. And one of the major reasons for this is that toxins. You ingest a lot of toxins from the outside. Your body puts out a lot of toxins as excreted through the stool, right? Mm-hmm. So the longer your time between bowel movements, more of that toxins gets absorbed. So the more frequent your bowel movements, less toxins get absorbed. If less toxins get absorbed, the toxin load on your body is also less. Okay, that's normal common sense. Of right? course, yeah. The other thing that fiber does is that fiber is also, especially soluble fiber, is also an ingredient in that good bacteria in the gut or even bad bacteria in the gut needs to ingest and to process. Now, the so-called good bacteria, the probiotics, they will produce things. If you have a lot of good bacteria in your gut, one of the things that it will do is that it pumps out a lot of waste products, which is detrimental to a lot of the bad bacteria, Mm -hmm. right? So if you have good fiber, all good fiber act as a prebiotic, right? So there are certain prebiotics that people talk about out there as if it's magical, mystical. Really, any type of fiber, soluble fiber, is a prebiotic. Right, which, which, which is anything that bacteria will process and eat. Right. Prebiotics are essentially the food for the probiotics, right? That's correct. So do we get enough? It sounds to me like what you're saying is for the people that are having difficulties and only pooping once every three or five days, they're not getting enough fiber in their diet. Right? Well, that's only one of the things, okay? Because sure. there's many, I mean, ball movement, there are many different reasons sure. people have Fair enough. bad yep. ball movement, right? But certainly one of the reasons they don't have good ball movement is insufficient fiber in your diet. Because if you don't have enough fiber, what, one of the things, as I said, what fiber does it bulks up? If it bulks up, it creates bulk in your stool. If you have bulk in your stool, there's a signal that goes up to the brain and there's a pathway that kicks in that says, time to go to the bathroom. Right. So that's one of the things. Now, again, we talk about probiotics as my other leg in this thing. Yeah. Probiotics is also essential because one of the things is that Studies are showing now that the type of bacteria that you have in your colon, your small intestine, makes a huge difference to your overall health. For example, there's even some studies to show that with the right type of probiotics, it even affects autism. The right type of probiotics in there even affects weight gain. That's for sure. Now, if you ask me which is the right type of probiotics, there is no magical right type of probiotics. I know people go out and say, if you have this particular probiotic, you lose weight, or this particular probiotic means you have less obesity. That is not a cause and effect. What they're basically shown is that if you have this particular probiotic, the people who are not overweight tend to have all of this probiotic, but that's because they were looking for that probiotic. There's a whole bunch of different ones that they don't look at. Right. Right. And one of the things that I like to tell people with probiotics, the key here is to get a wide variety of probiotics into your system, not just one single probiotic. And I always say to people with probiotics, 
there's nothing inherently good about probiotics. I mean, even though we call them good bacteria. My standing joke on this is that they don't go to church on Sunday, they don't put extra money in your in your collection plate, okay? <laughs> the reason we call them good is because the waste products produced by these bacteria are better tolerated by your body than other bacteria. But even these bacteria, if I took all the bacteria out of your gut and just put this one type of probiotic in, you will be in bad health because the amount of waste products produced by this one particular bacteria is going to overwhelm your body system and the ability for your bodies to handle it, right? So this is why it's important to have a wide variety of probiotics and to have a good balance on it. And you can get some of this through diet. I know most people would need to supplement, but if you're having a lot of fermented foods, that helps. Those are good probiotics too. Oh, for sure. Before the invention of probiotics or the industry of probiotics, people were getting all their probiotics from food, right? right? Nobody sat down and got 10 billion probiotics in one sitting. Right. right? Basically, what what happened was that you ate a banana and maybe the banana had some probiotics on it that you inadvertently got into your mouth, etc. And this is basically how your microbiome is built. When you're born as a baby, you're basically germ-free. You pick up some probiotics as you come down the birth canal, right? Mm -hmm. And that's getting ingested. So that starts the ball rolling. But as you go through life, right, you pick up probiotics as you go along. Right. If you were born in India, for example, or born in China, or born in the West Indies like I was, your probiotic profile is going to be different, or your bacterial profile is going to be different. Yeah. Right? If you move from one country to another country, your bacterial profile changes. All right. A lot of the type of bacteria that you have in your gut is a function of what you've been eating. So, for example, let's say I lived in India. I could have eaten street food in India with no problem. Right. But then I moved from India to Canada. I live in Canada for 20 years. I go back. Well, guess what? If I eat that street food, I'll be sitting on the porcelain throne or praying to the porcelain gods. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know? And that's because our probiotics, our microflora has changed to the point where we, we haven't adjusted to it again. Right. Right? Now, that, that's just on that side. Okay? So we, we have a little bit of probiotic. Now, if we go higher up into the gut now, we're talking about um, digestion. Right. right. One of the things with digestion, as we grow older, one of the things that we find we don't digest food as well. What I mean is that sometimes we've all had these things. When we were young and you hit the buffet tables, you can eat and overeat, no problems. As you get older, you try doing that. You pay for it afterwards because your stomach is, you overfill everything. You just, you're out of sorts, etc. Yeah. Right? Yep. Or to be young again. Okay? Yep. <laughs> But one of the things that we can do to help with digestion, right, is to use digestive enzymes. Right. Right. This helps with a lot of people who are bloating, who have gas issues, right? It works very good. Now, there's a school of thought there. There's some people who say, oh, if you take digestive enzymes, you'll stop your body from producing digestive enzymes, so you make the problem worse. That is not quite true because there is no monitor in your GI tract to say, hey, I produce two grams of digestive enzymes, so we're going to stop producing that particular digestive enzyme. There's none of it like that, okay? So basically, on all digestive enzymes are proteins, right? Mm-hmm. What makes them different from your regular proteins is that they're more resistant to being digested than, say, regular protein. By that, I mean like milk or whey or soy protein, etc. Okay. But eventually, they too get digested, okay? Because they're all made from proteins. Right? Okay. Now, the 
difference is I say to people, well, you know, if you're going to take digestive enzymes, what kind? Because that's what everybody asks. What, which digestive enzymes are the best? Right. Well, I say, because we are omnivores, we eat everything. So you should get a digestive enzyme that has things like protease in there to help you digest protein when you eat a meal, that have amylases in there to help you break down carbohydrates and starches, has lipases in there, which will help break down fat. Those are the three must-haves, okay? Yep. Then it's a good thing usually to have a lactase in there because lactase will help you digest lactose, right? Right, which and is in dairy. In the yeah. age, yeah. In, especially out in the West here, we have dairy, be it hidden or not hidden, in most of our foods that we will eat, okay? Yep. Another good thing to have in there is the invitase or sucrase, right? And these things help digest sugar, Sucrose, because yeah. again, it's ubiquitous in, in most of the things that we eat. So those are the few must-haves that you should have in your digestive enzyme. When you're talking about these enzymes, you're talking about it as a sort of like a preventative everyday measure that you That's should... That's right. And the nice thing about digestive enzymes, people who use them, it's night and day, as far as things like bloating, etc. So you don't need to take this for like three months before you say, oh, it's working for me, right? Mm-hmm. This thing, if it works, it works right away. The only thing that you might have to do, the bottle might say one, right? But you might need three. Okay. And the reason for that is, I say to people, it's like when you have a headache. There are days when you have a, just a dull headache, you take one aspirin tablet, you're good to go. Or one acetaminophen tablet, you're good to go. Then there are days when the night before you, you were hitting the sauce too much, too much partying. The next yeah. day you wake up with a doozy and you say, why did I do that? Right. On those days, you need two acetaminophen extra strength. Right. Yeah. You know. So again, you know, it just depends on the severity of your symptoms. Now, one thing I need to stress is that safety. Anything that's in the supplement aisle is very, very safe. Right. Yep. You can take two, three, four times the amount on any short given term basis, and you have no problems. So these enzymes are they in pill form? Are they liquid? Is there a difference? Enzymes should always be in a pill form. Okay. Right? Because if you ever buy an enzyme that's in a liquid form, throw it out. The shelf life is not there. Because for enzymes to be active, they have to be in a liquid. Yeah. But for shelf life, if your enzymes are in a liquid, the enzymes will digest itself. Got right? it. And yep. then you're not having enzymes. So right? I guess in the pill form, you once it gets eaten, then your body sort of triggers it, turning yeah, into a liquid. Yeah, because once you eat it, what happens is water in your gut, and that basically is the medium where the enzymes will start to act on. Okay. Right? Now, there are certain things you should know about enzymes, too. I mean, because... Everybody thinks digestion occurs in the stomach, but what they don't realize, most digestion does not occur in the stomach. The only thing that's digested in the stomach is really your proteins, right? Okay. And it hydrolyzes the protein, but it doesn't do complete digestion. Most of your digestion occurs in the small intestine. So your carbohydrates are broken down in the small intestine. Your proteins are fully broken down in the small intestine. Your fats are broken down in the small intestine. That's where most of the digestion occurs. So whatever digestive enzyme you take has to survive passage through the stomach. Ah. Right? So how do we do that? How do we get that? Well, the tricks of the trade that we have done, nobody grows their own enzyme. We buy it. And one of the things that we've done is that before we put our digestive enzymes together, we tested it to make sure they, pa- they survived passage through the stomach. And it was an easy assay. All we basically did was we measured the activity before, then we put it in HCL to simulate action in the stomach, left it there for half an hour at 37 degrees. And then at the end of the time, we neutralized with sodium bicarb and measured activity again. And we chose the enzymes which had activity post 
after we finish this experiment. So right. those are the enzymes that we chose. But it's vitally important that your enzymes have to be active in the small intestine, not so much so in, in, the, um, in the stomach. And what you're saying is when you're taking these enzymes, you should see a result right away, right? Yeah, most people see results right away if they're working for you. Okay. Now, the only thing is, as I said, sometimes you may not have uh, had enough, but if you see some lessening of the symptoms and you don't see a good amount uh, of lessening of the symptoms, take more. Gordon, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Next month, you're going to come back and you're going to talk about pets, right? Yes, I will. But one end note I was going to say, this was the Reader's Digest version. I don't want people to think that, you know, this is the be-all and the end-all of all digestive issues, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of stuff that we don't even touch on. Uh, we'll talk about this on another day. It's the Reader's Digestive version. How about that? <laughs> Sometimes I can't help myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we will chat next month. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Wayne Elliott here to share my great experience over the past 20 years with Strauss Heart Drops. If you've had bypass surgery, stents, have angina, diabetes, cold hands and feet, grayish blue lips or skin, I urge you to try Strauss Heart Drops and feel better again soon. Strauss Heart Drops saved my life and thousands of others without risk or harm. Go to StraussNaturals.ca to order online or find a store near you. I promise you won't be sorry. I hope you give this to yourself. Thank you. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Centre is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. The new 8,300-square-foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy, and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage, and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory, plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments, and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Tracy Sagrati has 20 years of clinical experience with formal education in molecular biology, nursing, critical care nursing, advanced life support, anatomy, and pathophysiology, parenting, child development, health education, perinatal care, Swedish massage, and Thai yoga massage. She's also a certified yoga therapist who has led over 2,000 hours in yoga teacher training, over 3,000 hours in private yoga therapy and teacher mentorship sessions, and over 10,000 hours teaching yoga classes, workshops, and events. She's also a certified yoga therapist who has led over 2,000 hours in yoga teacher training, over 3,000 hours in private yoga therapy and teacher mentorship sessions, and over 10,000 hours in teaching yoga classes, workshops, and events. She's also a mindfulness expert. Her free meditation recordings can be found on the Insight Timer app. You can follow her at Tracy Sagrati on Instagram and Twitter and Sagrati Yoga on Facebook. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm so great, Jamie, although I almost I start giggling halfway through you reading my bio, I have to admit. Yeah, yours is the most varied bio I think I've ever seen. It may, I think it surpasses mine with all the different stuff I've done. I'm going to take it as a compliment. Yeah, no, no, that was a compliment. Thanks. So today we're going to talk about something that it's on the, at the forefront of everybody's mind. Yeah. And that is the social activism, which is a wonderful thing that's going on and how mindfulness can come into play. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think the biggest question for 
people who are spiritual and who are looking to incorporate mindfulness into their social action, their social justice, is how do you even do that? Is there a link between the two? And, you know, I want to unpack that for people. And I think the biggest thing to remind ourselves is that at its heart, mindfulness is really about paying attention. And ideally, it's paying attention to the present moment right now. And that means to yourself, to your, the state of your mind, to your biology, what's happening in your body, your psychology. But it also means to pay attention to the social and cultural context that we're living in. Mm-hmm. And to try and separate ourselves from that context is, I mean, it's just a lie. Yeah. I mean, like we're contextual beings, right? So so how we conduct ourselves, how we respond to the stimuli is as relevant as how we feel. Exactly. And, you know, in when I was researching for this interview, because I was like, you know, I really want to get this right for people. Mm-hmm. There's this one activist, her name is Rhonda McGee, and your listeners can look her up. And she is a woman who really lectures on the intersection between mindfulness and anti-racism work. And one of the comments that she made that was so powerful to me is that in order to kind of walk into social action work through the lens of mindfulness, we have to first reject this ideal of white nobility that we've kind of bought into. Because as long as we hold up this ideal that, you know, because we're white, there's this idea that we have, we take the best qualities of just a few white people and we extrapolate that to all white people. And once we've bought into that white nobility, we can't actually see some of the racist things that, you know, all of the people in Black Lives Matters that, that they're actually complaining about, we're, we're not able to see it. And so we have to reject that ideal first. And in order to do that, we've got to pay attention. Okay. So how do we do that? Okay. So I'm talking about how to do this through the lens of mindfulness. And okay. Yep. I, I, I want to say there's many ways to do this, but this is the way that I know. Number one, we have to start with curiosity. Right. And this means, you know, when we practice mindfulness independently, we sit with ourselves and we get really curious about the state of our minds. And as we get curious about the state of our minds, we notice what we feel, what we believe, what we think. So we have to then take this precept and apply it to how we think about race. Okay, So if we've never examined that question, we have to sit with ourselves and get really curious about all of the layers of cultural conditioning that wrap around the lens through which we see the world and ask ourselves, like, what do I really believe about race? Mm-hmm. You know, how am I interacting in the world? What kinds of policies and laws am I upholding professionally, say, within the realm that I work, that has to do with conditioning that I'm not even aware of? And in order to be not defensive about that, we have to maintain that attitude of curiosity. When I think of the most deeply loving relationships that I have, say, for example, with a friend, right? Mm -hmm. I did not understand the experience of, say, being a Middle Eastern person in North America until I married a Middle Eastern man and sat and deeply listened with curiosity to his experience. I didn't understand what it was like to be, say, a Jewish person until some of my dearest best friends that I came to know and love, they were Jewish. And so I learned about their experience. And it's the same here. You know, I'm a white woman. In order for me to really understand, I have to drop my defenses and get very curious about things that I know nothing about because I haven't had that lived experience. Right. Does that make sense? It does. And I would say, you know, that doesn't mean you have to agree or form opinions about what it is you're learning about. You just, 
you just have to be receptive to taking in the information and say, you can always digest it later. You can always say, okay, I accept this. I don't accept that. Right. right? And that doesn't make you a good person or a bad person. But I think when we shut down, when we're not able to take in the information, when we're not able to say, you know, I don't want to learn about this. It's, you know, it'll force me to make decisions about the way I've conducted myself. No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. What it means is you're gathering information and that's a good thing. Oh, you know what? I love that you said that you're in the information gathering stage and you can be there as long as you need to be. And I think that's really a critical point to make. You know, the next thing I was going to say was actually to be open and accepting. And that follows what you're saying exactly. You know, when we're open and accepting, first of all, you're gathering information. You're doing so with a curious mind and really an open heart. And we're going to get to the open heart of things next. Yeah. But it's also about accepting the fact that you don't know, mm-hmm. right? Like if you yeah. haven't had the lived experience, like I think of all of the things that I thought I knew about, and then I went through the experience of it, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> I did not know. Right. right? Well, t- well, everything is two-dimensional until yeah. you do it, right? Until or until, you it, un- yeah. until you live it, right? It's funny, you know, you expect kids, for example, to know what they want to do with the rest of their lives. Well, how could you possibly know whether you'd be in a happy in a career in law or medicine or doing this or doing that without experiencing it? So how is it that we could come to understand somebody else's life without sort of taking in the information that they're going to impart? Exactly. And that reminds me, when I went to see Michelle Obama, when she came to Toronto to speak, I went to see her. Mm -hmm. And she made this comment that it moved me so much at the time and still to this day when I think of it, I'm like, oh, man, she nailed it. She said, it's hard to hate up close. Get close, get personal. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's the essence of it right there. That's the essence of it. Like, get comfortable with deep listening. Open your heart to relationship because it's the relationship that is going to heal on both sides. On both sides. So we have to get close so that we can understand what we don't know. Yeah, and that's a hard thing. And, you know, I think part of the problem with today's society is there's this expectation of speed. That we're supposed to take in this information, process it, and come to a decision immediately. Well, because social media. Right. Which is you you and I both, I think, share the same views of the efficacies of social media. It's a great tool, but it's a quite dangerous tool. And it could be a bully pulpit. and And it can create a situation where... You know, not everybody's comfortable expressing themselves, let's say, on social media. I'm not, for example. I'm much more comfortable in this scenario than I am online. And that's okay. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. You know, you're right. It can be a bully pulpit. And I think, you know, when I talk to my friends and colleagues, I think so much of the fear that people have around social media is the fact that they're afraid they're going to make a mistake. And, you know, the reality is, of course, we're going to make mistakes to err as human. And yet what happens on social media is if you make some kind of error, the kickback, the lash that you get from that error is often pretty vicious because, again, you're not dealing with someone face-to-face. You're not having a conversation in the way that you and I are having a conversation where our tone of voice can actually indicate sort of a fuller meaning to our message. People in generally are not great communicators, but social media with its abbreviated timelines and space leads to much fuzziness in messaging and it also is instantaneous and it amplifies feelings without any yeah. context. Yeah. When you put all that together. God, you, that was well said, Jamie. Well, you know, I have a way yeah, sometimes. Wow. No, but I, I think it's a real problem. I think it's a yeah. real issue with communications and it's affecting our politics and it's affecting the way you and I and a whole generation of people are interreacting. We're, we're not connecting on a personal level anymore. We're just not. 
Really, and it's, there's not a depth of connection. Like going yeah. back to this idea of relationship that I was talking about. I mean, it's not a relationship, and and I firmly believe that the way we evolve and grow is through the context of deep and meaningful relationships. And you know, even to riff off what you're saying, when I look at young people and just the mental health, you know, my husband's a physician, and so every month he gets all these studies mailed to him, and and like the last couple of months, it's been the effect of social media on the health of teens over yeah. and over and over, yeah. and just the negative consequences of it and it and it's you know due to all the reasons that you just listed absolutely so i think the takeaway to this though is that you know you don't need to post on social media especially if you're not comfortable for all of the reasons that we just outlined but what we're talking about the deep work actually the work if yeah. i put that in quotation marks is about doing the work first in yourself and then in your home right in yep. terms of the relationships that you have because those grassroots actions, that's what actually changes the world. Social media, it's a blip, right? And it's powerful. It's powerful as a tool. But when we're talking about really being the generation that hearkens in like a a whole new way of being, it happens in the daily conversations and the relationships that we're having at home. 100%. Social media is ephemeral. If you, I think I would say this is a great time to make change and find the world that we all want, but take your time doing it. Take your time. And and, and do it in your own pace. You know, we're all going to have to get out of our comfort zones and that's okay. Be ready for that change because it's real. And if you're going to do real work, you know, it is work. It's work and do it with an attitude of loving kindness. That's the final thing that I would say towards yourself, right? So lots of self-compassion. You're not perfect. And compassion towards the other, because at the end of the day, we are all interconnected with the world, with the climate, with each other. We're all interconnected. And so you cannot extend loving kindness to someone else unless you're doing it to yourself first. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Next month, you're going to come back and we're going to discuss finding solace in solitude. Yes. I'm so excited. Me too. That was Tracy Segrati. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss home fitness and nutrition on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Megan Horsley is a registered holistic nutritionist, blog writer, and recipe developer. She's passionate about helping her clients discover their best selves with a holistic approach to their well-being with delicious food, movement, and thoughts. Megan loves witnessing the transformations that unfold. She's also a knowledgeable and entertaining writer for Tonic Magazine. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Doing great. So usually when you come on the show, we discuss nutrition 
Well, today we're going to discuss another aspect of your work and how it sort of relates to nutrition holistically, and that is uh, (laughs) fitness and personal training. Exactly, yeah. So I'd say about a year and a half ago, I started personal training, and a big reason that I was drawn to adding that service to what I already do with holistic nutrition was because I found that in my sessions with my clients, whenever we were talking about ways to reduce stress or how to incorporate more exercise in their lives, I didn't really have many options aside from saying, well, why don't you find a personal trainer or start working out at a gym? And and I found that I wasn't providing enough resources in that sense. So I really wanted to add on the service so I could help my clients individually with their own fitness. You know, that sort of mirrors the development of the magazine and sort of the reason why I started the magazine and got into health and wellness. You know, I was trying to lose my weight. And what I realized was a lot of people come to health and wellness first because they want to lose weight. And it's all sort of there's a fundamental interconnectedness between fitness, emotional well-being, sleep, calmness, and sort of getting to where you want to be. So I think the gateway is usually weight, but from there, people's interest in health and wellness sort of blossoms. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you're definitely right. And there are so many aspects of, you know, holistic health where exercise can definitely help, you know, if we're looking at things like fertility issues or insomnia, right? Like exercise is a great way to deal with these very things. True. Okay, so you have a whole new program, which is a fitted home guide. Exactly. So let's talk about that. What is it? Yes, I'd love to. So the Fit at Home Guide is something that I created during uh, quarantine, during lockdown. Well, you had to do something. (laughs) What else are we going to do, right? We're going to write programs. Yeah, no, that's good. (laughs) But it's something that I've wanted to do for a little while, and this felt like the right time to do it. Um, So it's a guide that is a four-week in-home fitness program, and it's adaptable. It's, It's a straightforward plan to help people get moving, to help people ease some stress to build your confidence and to grow some muscle. So this is a low-cost personal training alternative, right? And I wanted to offer this because I realized that a lot of people were stuck at home and didn't necessarily have a way to exercise anymore. If you were used to going to the gym, well, guess what? You're not able to do that anymore. And for a little while, we were you know, not really able to go for walks on trails and even bike riding. <laughs> so you know, I, I really felt like I wanted to step up and help people and give them an alternative with a low cost so that they could start working out at home. And I also realized you know, a lot of people would have minimal equipment yeah. um, and space. So I accounted for that as well with the program. So what it consists of are four workouts each week. So this includes three full body workouts and one HIIT workout. Mm-hmm. And each exercise that's listed in the program has an accompanying video. So I spent a lot of time doing a lot of video takes for each exercise, mm-hmm. uh, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. So the guide itself is an ebook, which means that you can actually download it. It's a PDF document, and you can easily access it on your phone or computer. And then, you know, eventually when we are able to go back to gyms, you can actually easily transition the program to a gym environment. Okay. So you said there's four workouts, one of which is HIT. Are the other uh, more muscle type things or, or body weight? So there are a lot of body weight exercises, but then also some weight training as well. So it is focused on high reps. Right. And the reason for this is to help build the client's capacity from the start. So it, it's recommended for beginners to intermediate level, but 
definitely a good start for beginners. If you've never worked out before with weights or if it's something that you were doing with a personal trainer, you know, for example, and now you're stuck to working out at home by yourself. So it is geared to a beginner mindset. But Jonathan and I, my partner, we've been following it and we've just been using heavier weights because we have that at home. Yeah. And we've been, <laughs> we've been killing ourselves. We've been yeah. <laughs> factor so yeah you know it's adaptable it is adaptable well i think you know in some respects somebody just starting out or somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience who's getting back to it may actually have an advantage because they're not coming into it sort of predisposed or coming in with certain faults in their form it's a real opportunity to sort of get your form correct which actually makes a huge huge difference to your results like you know anybody can bend down and you know think they're doing a squat but to actually do it properly so that you're, you know, you're charging your muscles and, and your posture is correct so that you're getting the benefit out of it. It's like night and day. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is actually the best time if you wanted to really hone in on correcting your form. This is the best time to do it. I've seen a lot of squats where people just drop their torso forward. Right. And they're not actually bending down much at all. Right. And, you know, that's the, that's the main issue that you see with squats. So you're right. You know, this is a great way to actually work on yourself, work on your form, and ultimately when when you do work on your form, you are helping to prevent injuries down the road. True. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you said that it's created essentially for people who are perhaps beginners or intermediate or getting back into it. Are there any, like, were you looking at a particular age group? Is this for women? Is this for men? Is this for kids? Is this for people that are 50 plus? You know what? Great question. It's good for men and women. When I was running my, so prior to creating the guide, when I was running my live Instagram classes, I had them twice a week. I had men and women join and both equally loved what I was offering. And that was a really fun social aspect to it by offering the live classes. And so a lot of the folks who participated in those classes liked what we were doing so much that they also invested in the guide. And, you know, majority of the folks are women. But I would say if you don't have any, you know, nagging injuries or anything like that, I mean, you can definitely try it out. There are modifications as well, I should say. So I I have provided modifications if some of the exercises seem too difficult Mm -hmm. because I wanted to make sure that at the end of the day, if you are dealing with some limitations, that you're still able to get a good sweat. Okay. So I presume, because it's you, that there's a nutrition portion to the guide, right? (laughs) Yes. Good assumption. So For the first week of the sale, I actually offered, uh, this was May 25th to May 31st, I actually offered a free meal plan. So I'm sorry that I'm mentioning this to you guys now, but I created an omnivore and vegan meal plan that was free for the initial week. Now, while the free meal plan is no longer available, I do offer customized meal plans as a service. So if someone was interested in getting the guide and wanting to follow a meal plan that was customized to their lifestyle and allergies, family size, that sort of thing, that's definitely a possibility. And I I have had some folks who purchased the guide wanting something customized. So we did that. And yeah, so that's definitely an option. So when you, you know? say when you say meal guide, what does that mean? Are you talking about actual like are you giving recipes for dishes or are you just talking about food portions and calories and counts and things like that? With the meal plan, you get a seven day meal plan and each meal has a recipe. There are photos, so it's actually really beautiful to look at. Mm-hmm. Well, food is food porn is food porn is like the best porn, right? So there you go. (laughs) Yes, there are suggested portions, but the focus with both of those meal plans, both omnivore and vegan, was to increase the protein content. The main thing that I've seen in my practice is that a lot of people are not eating enough protein. 
Well, particularly and, if you're vegan, because it's hard to do. Well, I mean, that, that is an assumption. You know, if you are vegan and you're not paying attention to that, then yes, you could have lower protein intake. So the focus of that was, okay, well, if we're going to have folks who are maybe new to exercise or just getting back into it after a long while, one thing we have to consider is muscle repair and muscle building, right? And, and one of the main ways that we're able to do that is by increasing our amino acids and our proteins in our diet. Mm-hmm. And so that was the focus when creating the meal plan. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my experience is, you know, people start these programs, whether it's fitness or in diets or nutrition programs with the best of intentions. But then, you know, everybody, <laughs> they find it hard to maintain, right? It's got mm-hmm. you and I have discussed this, these decisions that people make, you ha- it has to be a lifestyle. Yes. So understanding that, how does that fit into your guide? How did you sort of reconcile that? That's a great question. Well, I will say some participants actually teamed up with a buddy and decided to do it together to hold each other accountable. But I also hold the participants accountable with weekly emails and checking in individually. And so I've had people say, you know, I'm really enjoying it. I'm like, okay, great. And I'll, I'll give feedback. Or if they're struggling with a certain aspect of the program, let's say they're not sure about their squat, I actually had someone say that. I said, okay, send me a video. Let's work on it. And so I am providing a, a small portion of what I would typically do with one-to-one training mm-hmm. uh, because I really do want those who are doing this program to succeed and t- to keep it maintainable and sustainable, you know? So when you, when you talk about a four-week program, is this like the kickstart or is this something that they can do in like repeated four-week cycles? Repeated. Yeah, yeah. So you can do this over and over again. And that's the best part of it, right? As you get stronger, you and as weights are available in stores. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's a huge issue, right? Yeah, that is a huge issue. But I mean, it's, you know, it can be one drawback, but I've had people using cans and jugs and wine bottles. Some people are using, <laughs> some people are using luggage. So I mean, your limits are only limits if you make them limits. You know what I mean? Yeah. There are ways to definitely work through this. I think if you're intent on exercising, you find a way to do it, right? Instead of making excuses. Once you start making excuses, then you already know what your answer is as to to whether or not you're going to be able to maintain it. So there you go. If people wanted to reach out to you to get more information, how should they do that? Yep. They can contact me by email. So Megan, M-E-G-A-N at MeganHorses.com, M-E-G-A-N-H-O-R-S-L-Y.com. You can also find me on Instagram. Megan underscore RHN. I'm also on Facebook, Megan Horsley Wellness. So it's facebook.com slash Megan Horsley Wellness. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, Jamie. Take care. That was Megan Horsley. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the natural treatment of allergies on the tonic. Ever wonder if your probiotics are really working for you? To fully benefit from probiotics, you need to ensure they're not destroyed by your stomach acids. Clinical studies prove that enteric coating guarantees safe intestinal delivery of live active probiotic cells. New Roots Herbal offers a variety of enteric coated probiotics formulated to meet your specific needs. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. Find them in the refrigerated section. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is the Tonic. 
on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Emily Lipinski graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto and is a member of the Ontario Association of Naturopathic Doctors. While in the academic world, Emily became fascinated with the potential applications of naturopathic medicine in health and wellness. She strongly believes in addressing the root cause of a medical issue and using natural therapies, either alone or in conjunction with conventional Western medicine. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm 95% good. And the only 5% that isn't so good is that it's allergy season. And I have like brutal seasonal allergies. And for whatever reason, this particular spring summer seems to be a pretty bad one for allergies. And like, you know, when you have tearing eyes and a stuffed nose, it's not cool during COVID because people think you got something else going on. So, oh, yeah, that's true. Absolutely. So let's talk about allergies. You know, why do they occur and and what are the symptoms or types of allergies that you see in your practice? So allergies are happening because the immune system is actually responding aggressively to a harmless substance like dust or pollen when the immune system really shouldn't be responding to that substance. And, you know, people like yourself, a lot of people do have runny eyes or sneezing. Some people have a cough. But there's other what we know as atopic conditions that present with allergies like eczema or asthma that are also, you know, increasingly more common. So although some people think of allergies as just sneezing, you know, I have allergies to cats and dogs. And when I see cats and dogs, I sneeze a little bit and then I develop asthma. And sometimes after exposure, eczema as well. Yeah, I've had eczema since I was a kid. I have two kinds. I have the kind that's triggered by the sun, and then I have the sort of the classical one that's affected by allergies and sort of changes in temperature and, and moisture in the air. Right. And so that's very common. Most people that have allergies don't just have one of the atopic conditions. They'll have asthma and sneezing and runny eyes or eczema and asthma and so forth. Yeah. I mean, it actually sort of result as I got older, like it was really bad when I was a teenager and then it sort of got better when I was an adult. For a lot of people it can, but it can also do the other way. You know, oh, yeah? many people that have no allergies when they're young and then develop them as they get older. Huh, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought that. Mm-hmm. Not as common, but it can happen. And I've actually seen that more recently. People never had allergies, and then all of a sudden, they, as they get older, they do develop allergies. And most likely, that's because of changes you know, in the immune system. The immune system is maybe not acting as effectively or in you know, the way it should be mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. Okay. So we know that conventional medicine has treatments for allergies. You know, there's over-the-counter drugs you can take when the symptoms are, are bad. And, you know, there's what, there's allergy shots. What else is there? So the main things, as you, you know, you mentioned over-the-counter antihistamines and allergies to the shots, they used to be one of the most common yeah. therapies. And for many people, they're quite well tolerated. There's also, you know, allergy shots fall into the category of immunotherapy. There's also sublingual immunotherapy that's very common in Europe becoming more common here. So the same theory as an allergy shot where you're, you know, trying to retrain the immune system not to attack the pollen, but just instead of a shot, it's under the tongue. And that seems to actually potentially be as effective as an allergy shot. And for some people, they, you know, seem much more inclined to do that instead of taking an injection. Yeah, my son went for this new treatment where instead of doing like the weekly or biweekly shots, it was a series of two or three different, it was a different dosage. But the idea was with these two or three shots that they wouldn't have allergies going forward. 
So it remains to be seen right. whether that's going to work. Is that sort of something you've heard of, or is that part of the sublingual? Or That's part of the immunotherapy, right? Okay. So there's different schedules to do it. And for some people, it seems to be very effective. And for others, as you say, you know, you don't really know until you see the results long term. For others, it really doesn't work at all. When I got the eczema, I used to be, I had two creams that I had to use. One of them was a cortisone, which of course has the net effect of also thinning your skin membrane with repeated use. And then the other was this horrible stuff that I had to put on, which had tar in it. So I smelt like asphalt because like it was protecting my skin, but like it was like ridiculous and it stained everything that I owned. So. Yes. And that substance that contains tar is, you know, more now reserved for people with psoriasis. Yeah. But the corticosteroids are very common for those with eczema. And, you know, with corticosteroid use, especially chronic corticosteroid use, you need to go up and up in strength. Yep. And then, of course, because the body stops responding to it. So as you get stronger and stronger corticosteroids, you are risking thinning the skin more and more. And over time, it can also change your blood sugar levels. Oh, really? Um, That part I didn't know. Yeah. So it can increase your blood sugar in the body. And so people, especially diabetics, the people that struggle with blood sugar levels, again, we're we're not talking about a dab of corticosteroid, you know, inside your arm when you've got a little spot of eczema. But, you know, for some people that really are covered head to toe with eczema or have been struggling with this all their life and are using and slathering corticosteroids all over their body long term, they're setting themselves up not just for thin skin, but other, you know, metabolic effects inside the body. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I had to use it for years and it was all over my legs. So I kind of needed to use it. And then, as I said, like, as I went through puberty, it all kind of disappeared, which is really weird, but that was my personal journey. Are there any other side effects that we can discuss regarding conventional treatments? Well, for some people, when they do take, you know, just the -the over-the-counter meds, some people experience a little bit of dizziness or dry mouth, uh, blurred vision. But the non-sedating antihistamines, which are more commonly used now, long-term can be hard in the liver. So that's something that people should be aware of, too. Yeah, I mean, I I don't usually take the -the over-the-counter allergy medicines unless it's really bad because, like, it's not something you can take every day, in my view. Right, but some people do. So that's why, you know, it's finding a balance and looking at maybe some alternative things that you can use to reduce the need for daily use. I've met many patients over the years, but as soon as April comes around, they're starting to use their antihistamine on a daily basis, and they use it all through until September or October. Okay, so what are some of the things that we can do naturally to avoid using all these over-the-counter drugs for the entire growing season? So first, we want to look at how we can support the immune system to kind of help it perform better and maybe react less against these, you know, substances that really aren't harmful. So probiotics are one of the ways that we can do that. And when we look at children with allergies versus children without allergies, we see that they're microbiome or their beneficial gut bacteria is different in the kids that have that don't have eczema have more beneficial gut bacteria than kids that do have eczema Hmm. and so we do have some clinical trials with some specific strains of probiotics one of them is known as bifidobacteria longum and another one's known as lactobacillus rhamnosus have both shown benefit for patients with allergies and these aren't food allergies. These are like environmental allergies, like That's like pollen right. and dust? Oh, okay. That's right. Okay, what else and can we do? We also know that vitamin D, which is involved in immune function, have shown that like epidemiological studies have shown that low vitamin D status has an increased incidence of allergic diseases. 
and supplementing with vitamin D may also improve atopic dermatitis symptoms. Okay. So that's also interesting. Then we, you know, we can also look at, well, how are these antihistamines and some of the conventional over-the-counter medications acting, and can we kind of mimic that effect with natural remedies? And two of them that come to mind right away are nettle, which is stinging nettle. It's found all over the countryside of Ontario. When those leaves are dried, they also act more like a natural antihistamine, and that can be taken in a tea, it can be taken in a tincture, and the other substance is known as quercetin, which acts in a similar way of one of the over-the-counter allergy medications. And quercetin is an extract from the skin of an apple or an onion, and it seems to help stabilize the immune system a bit to, again, reduce that allergic response. Can you get quercetin from eating more apples or onions, or is that just, would you, would you just have to eat so many that it wouldn't be worth it? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, you would. It's kind of the same kind of theory pertains to probiotics. You know, probiotics are in yogurt, yeah, of course, food. Yeah, but that's why I mentioned those specific strains because a lot of the strains in yogurt are not the strains that are beneficial for allergies. And even if they were, you'd have to be eating cartons of, of yogurt a day. Okay, well, I'm not for that. So, also, I presume there's ways to avoid allergy triggers, right? Like, what can we do to reduce exposure to allergens? Well, a lot of people who have allergies have visited allergists, and a lot of them have mentioned about doing things in their home to reduce the dust that accumulates in your home. So, sure. you know, cleaning constantly is not an option for everyone, but making sure your house doesn't, you know, collect a whole bunch of dust. And you, filters, you, can also get, you know, change the filters. That's right. Yeah. Change your filters. You can use a filter specifically in rooms that you spend a lot of time in, like your bedroom. That's where you spend most of your time. Getting an air filter that has a HEPA filter, yep. that can also significantly reduce molds and allergens and dust in your room. You can get covers for your uh, pillows and for your mattress because the pillows and mattress do contain a lot of dust and dust mites. Those, a lot of actually pharmacies or shoppers home care have those that you can put over your bed to actually help reduce the amount of dust that you breathe in every night. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when thinking about cleaning, we also want to think about, I know we've spoken about in the past, about reducing the use of toxic chemicals and substances. A lot of people with atopic conditions and eczema do react more to some of these heavy-duty cleaners. So even though we want to keep our house clean, maybe using things like vinegar and water, lemon to clean instead of some of these harsh chemicals that are found at most conventional grocery stores. You know, for me and my family, when I was having allergy issues, what people don't realize is red wine has tannins and histamines in it. And that could be a trigger for me. So, you know, my personal advice would be if you're having allergy issues, you might want to avoid drinking wine. Yeah, it's a good idea. Just pay attention to your diet in general, because for some people it's wine. It can also be things like dark chocolate. Really, some really rich foods can increase the allergic response. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Next month, you're going to come back and we're going to discuss something that's really topical, and that is 5G. Yeah? Yes, we will. Fantastic. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Tracy Sograti, Megan Horsley, and Dr. Emily Lipinski, ND. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. 
During COVID-19, we're suspending distribution of the magazine, but Tonic's generally available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website, tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss what goes into the all-natural first aid kit, aging in home, and the future of restaurants. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.